0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the T&E Speakeasy, with your hosts, Caleb, Eric, and Sean. Listen in as they discuss the 1990 film, The Exorcist 3.
1: So I'm going to say right on the bat, uh, Eric, your opinion of this movie is going to dictate whether or not I ever do a podcast with you again. Jesus. And if, 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 if it turns out in the negative, uh, then I will have plenty of free time because I will only have to watch one movie for a podcast each week.
2: Well,
3: that's my podcast career, folks.
1: <laughs> oh, no. All right. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to ask one question, and this is going to be it. And you, is The Exorcist Three, Legion, better than The Exorcist Two, The Heretic? Oh my God! Oh no! We're... No,
3: no, no! No. The reason I'm hesitating is because it feels like revealing like the end of a Shalaman yeah. movie at the beginning.
1: Okay, that's fine. Okay. Okay. So my, I had this. I uh, used to have this uh, stoner roommate. And, you know, he would always go on about how great this movie is. And, you know, at that time, I had not seen the second movie. Uh, I saw that for the first time last week. I, of course, I'd seen the first movie, but I was kind of like, whatever, I guess, you know. So we smoked a bunch of pot and watched it. And I was completely confused because this isn't a movie you should be smoking pot and watching. <laughs> um, because this this movie this movie is a mystery um, if you're not paying attention and reading between the lines, you're not going to be able to figure out what the hell is going on in this movie, but you can fi- you can figure it out. It's just not spelled out for you like, you know, uh, a TV movie or something like that would do. But um, this, of course, is based off of William Peter Blatty's book Legion. Uh, he wrote the screenplay and he directed this movie. I think he's only directed two movies. I yep. can't remember what the other one was. The Ninth
0: Configuration.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe this is a, you know amateur director uh this this movie looks looks wonderful um and uh unfortunately uh the studio somebody said you know what you know this has to be more either it has more gore in it or uh you know it has to be more like the the uh, first movie and they made him put a bunch of shit in there that he didn't like and that actually made the movie not as good um and i think and I, don't quote me on this well, quote me. I'm saying it because I'm saying it. Uh, the whole Nicol Williamson subplot involving Father Mourning, that was not in Blatty's original screenplay. 100%. Or the book. It's not in the book? No, nope, not at all. And I think that was put in there just so they could have him stick to the wall and have his skin peel off and all this other shit. Because you don't know who the hell this guy is. Um, there's no explanation. He's supposed to be like a Father Marin type, but
3: well yeah there's a little explanation but then i was wondering because of his odd look his um i was gonna say albanian but that would be wrong his albino <laughs> look um uh i wasn't sure if he was supposed to represent almost like marin reincarnate or something because he, he did was, resemble yeah. like a youthful um max monzito look-alike or something was that like intentional
0: yeah but i think they gave him the hair because they were like ah fuck the makeup like we're slapping this together at the end so he just, like, dyed his hair whatever color that is. I don't even know if it's blonde right. or white.
3: but <laughs> it's, it's not blonde.
0: To make him kind of look old, but it, it didn't play at all. Well, they said,
3: because he had that experience, you know, and I get that part. But yeah, it just made him look yeah. even more like a youthful Marin.
1: Uh, well, his name is also Mourning, which uh, I'm, it may not be a mistake. But um, I... Uh, I love this film, especially this time when I watched it for this. Um, I, I, it's you know I'm not I'm not going to say it's better. I think this is a great, great like murder mystery, not murder, but a police procedural. It, it reminds me very much of say uh, Hannibal or True Detective, where they're actually uh, uh, trying to solve similar crimes, uh, uh, you know, of people that were killed horribly, and. The father mourning scene near the end is all the more striking because it's the only gory scene in the movie. Uh, yet, there's a lot of talking in this movie about crime scenes. We're never shown anything, thank God. I mean, it would be a lesser movie, would show us, you know, the little boy with the, oh, they do show us that. Never mind. Or maybe they might even show part of the. Well,
0: they don't, they don't really show it, but yeah, the descriptions are disturbing enough. I mean, especially the way they're delivered. Like some really powerful scenes,
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, there's there's scenes in this, like in the confessional, oh. where uh, the sec- the second victim um, is listening to a lady do her confession, and she's like, "I cut the girl's throat." It, oh my god, my fucking skin crawled. That effect mm-hmm. was horrifying. I mean, it was just a it was just a voice. It was a noise, and that's that's where this movie really crawls under my skin. And I think it kinda of shits the bet at the end, um, when it comes to uh putting um uh, what's his name? Jason Miller in, his father Karis. I, I don't understand why they would go I mean I understand that Karis is in a Brad Dorough's body, like it was transferred into him when Karis died at the end of the first movie. And you know, but some is 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 George C. Scott seeing Karras or is he seeing Brad Dorf? That 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 I found confusing. Yeah, he's always seen Karis. Okay, okay, but everybody else sees Brad Dorff. Mm-hmm. And uh, fun fact, uh, Jason Miller. I think this must be his last film, or maybe one of his last films. He. And this I learned from Joe. Joe Bob Briggs did did this, uh, which is no longer up on Shutter. Uh, 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 Jason Miller was suffering from wet brain at the time. Do you know what that is? No, no clue. I heard about this and I'm like, I'm not going to, I, I have that. I think I have that. He drank so much that he actually suffered brain damage and he had a lot of trouble, um, uh, uh remembering his lines so that they had to help him out. It was almost like he was an Alzheimer's patient or something.
3: Yes. I think Sean has this
0: makes you think <laughs> of, uh, Richard Burton in the last movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but Brad Dourif, my God. This you know I this is the best Brad Dorff movie I've seen and by the way the man turns seventy one today as we record this March nineteenth it's the nineteenth nineteenth yep yeah it's the nineteenth he's spectacular in this and some of this is because they alter his voice a little bit but he gives an Academy Award worthy performance in this yes I, I was going to say to reference because we referenced
0: Cuckoo's Nest in each one of these like I think he was just nominated that is correct I don't think he won. But he should have been nominated again for this, because, yeah, powerhouse performance. Yeah. Just
1: just stellar. And my, my, my knee-jerk reaction to that is, no, they wouldn't nominate for a film uh-huh. like this. But that was the year Kathy Bates won Best Actress for Misery. So, hey, who knows? Yeah, and S- Sounds of the Lambs a few years later, which yeah.
0: is
3: very similar to this movie. Yeah, It was ways. like one year later. Oh, was it? Oh,
0: yeah, 91, yeah. yeah. Which
3: struck me that that came out literally a year after this, uh, because of this... The similarities.
0: Yeah, for whatever reason, I always think this is 89, but yeah, 90. Well,
3: that's the other thing. Silence of the Lambs came out a year later, but feels like it's a movie like seven years newer uh, <laughs> than, than Exorcist 3. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying it's something I thought about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, George C. Scott is fantastic in this. I'm not a big George C. Scott fan. I think maybe I've just seen Patton and that's it, but...
0: Yeah, what's funny for me too because I am a big George C. C. Scott fan. Wait,
3: I mean Doctor Strangelove, right?
0: That exactly. Doctor Strangelove is my favorite film. Sean, seen
3: that? Oh yeah, but
0: I think he kind of steals the movie in that as well as this. And I also see the Hindenburg, which for whatever reason I have a weird thing with that movie. I really like him in that too.
3: Hey, yeah, it's all good. I don't know nothing about that movie.
1: Academy Award-winning Hindenburg. Wait, that won an Academy Award? Oh, yeah, oh won Best god. Visual Effects. Hey, Suicide, King. Suicide Kings won an Academy Award. Oh <laughs> my god, really? Unless you're talking oh. about the
3: original footage, I don't really remember that movie. Hidden, it, came it came out in or...
1: 1975. It's I, I've oh, never seen
0: okay. it. Yeah, horribly baffling, because all the lead characters are Nazis, right? They walk around in Nazi uniforms. Tell me more. But they all speak English, they all have American accents. Like Valkyrie? And they're portrayed as just, like, normal, like, oh, yeah, we're just going around, hi, Heil Hitler, you know? And I'm like, Jesus wept, like, this is so strange. But yeah, then the ending, yeah, it's just elevates it and turns into a great movie. But That's interesting that yeah, like, <laughs> they had a Hindenburg
3: movie during the whole heyday of disaster movies.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Especially because they played the real footage of the reporter at the end, which gives it a much more disturbing feel than a lot of those kind of silly disaster movies were. But anyway, no, de- derailing on the Hindenburg. But yeah, no worries. No, yeah. no, George C. Scott. Yeah, did, I think it's a career best. I, I haven't seen all of his movies, but one of the best that I've seen.
1: Yeah, and it's like you know, Academy Award winner. I shouldn't talk about Academy. Oh my God, he's in this movie. Like this is like Gregory Peck doing The Omen. You know, he's mm, very comparable. I don't think he was a big, huge star at the time um, anymore. He was a fading I mean, star. Yeah, he was a fading star, and. I, wouldn't be long before he died. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, yeah, he does... And the dialogue, Blatty's dialogue between him and Father Dreyer is so great. It's like watching Forrest Gump play ping pong with the second greatest ping pong champion of the world. It's back and forth. There is a monologue about a carp in the (laughs) bathtub that is completely irrelevant to the rest of the movie, but his delivery... Is so dry and you'd think that he'd be doing Shakespeare but he's like I'll oh, hate there's a car I can't even do it I can't even do it justice
3: <laughs> well that's good
0: where they're seen in the the restaurant talking about like good and evil yeah and kind of uh, yeah some really stellar stuff and it's such a shame too because those scenes are also in the book but they're terrible in the book everything in the book is terrible and it's crazy to watch the same lines that I hated in the book be done so brilliantly in the movie it's, it's such a weird kind of juxtaposition yeah
1: and uh, Ed, Fla- Is it Ed it's Ed Flanders right yep that plays uh, Father Dyer, Dyer. Um, I remember him as a kid from a show called Saint Elsewhere he was on do y'all remember this I never saw it never
2: okay. saw it yeah
1: um, I remember him from that I remember his delivery on that mo- in that show if memory serves was exactly the same as here like it was all this really dry you know poking mm-hmm. wit Um, And by the way, his death in this was kind of sad and shocking. Uh, I didn't expect it. Especially the scene afterwards when there's that
0: great moment when uh, uh, Kinderman's explaining about the Gemini killer and all the, he just has that kind of blow up where he starts to break down and cry and like yells at Mm -hmm. that one, dude. Again, very, very good job by George C. Scott.
1: Yes. Yes. Excellent. And of course there's, I can't remember the doctor's name, but it's Herschel from The Walking Dead. I'm I'm watching this and I'm like this guy looks so fucking familiar. So I grabbed the IMDb app and or I grabbed the phone and opened up the IMDb app. And I'm like, "Oh, fucking shit, it's Herschel. He really kind of creeped me out in a way because like he kind of knew what was going on. He was always holding a cigarette with his arm crossed across <laughs> his chest. And I love he that. would never smoke the cigarette except in one scene. And there's just this bizarre every character in this in this movie is bizarre. Uh, there's a scene where they're in his office and uh, there's all this like voodoo and tarot shit everywhere. Topless chicks on the wall. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> you would have thought a memo would have been out, but he's like... <laughs> it was the 90s. There's, there's, there's newspapers piled everywhere and uh, Kinderman Kinderman? Kinderman says yep. uh, Oh, uh, are you... Uh, is there a paper drive? He goes, No, I um, keep them and I re- throw them away. When I read them, I... I like the science articles, they're good, and he's saying this as he's taking out a new cigarette and then lighting it with the old cigarette. Yeah, it takes like forever to put it out. <laughs> yes, yes, and he's doing this dialogue. Oh, it's just so yeah, all so the unique. stuff
3: you're talking about the oddities with some of the characters in the scene and the, the set design you're just talking about. It's like this weird um, David Lynchiness. Uh, yes, oh, it's yeah, like a little twin peaky for me. Oh, which again is not bad, but it surprised me.
0: I love that he was, like, reading from, like, a prepared script, and he forgets the line halfway through and has to, like, peek <laughs> down a bit.
1: <laughs> but when the, so that, what's, what's so genius about that shot is they pan over all that weird stuff in his office, and you think that he's talking to Kinderman. And then we, when we finally get to him, we're like, oh, he's trying to rehearse a script. Why is he doing that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to talk about probably one, the, one of the top three jump scares of all time, and that's when the nurse gets it. And uh, she gets it because, well, the minute that she goes, there's a there's a, a fake scare uh, with a guy in the other room. I think there's ice popping or something, and she thinks, yep. and she goes in there, and there's this idiot in there, and he's like, "You woke me up again. Why are you waking me up? Who are you?" And she says, "Her name is, uh, yeah, Amy Keating." Amy Keating, and then you instantly think, "K, she's gonna be next to go," and of course she is. And it's and it's a it's a horrific scene but it doesn't show anything that's what's so neat and Brad Dorff had like said Amy too at the last,
0: uh, last scene that he was in prior to that oh really oh he did yeah it was like he was like about to fall asleep and he said Amy right before he passed out huh I did not catch that um, but before we get too far away from Herschel or uh, Scott Wilson was it I think so I think that's correct I watched the ninth configuration in prep for this movie I'd always meant to see it I just never ended up seeing it but he's in that, he's playing c- kind of the lead character, but it's the astronaut from The Exorcist, if you guys remember that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ninth Configuration is kind of like a spin-off to this movie, slash that book. Really? Yeah, it's... I I can't say it was a, a great movie. Yeah, a whole bunch of the cast in this movie is also in that movie, like, um, uh, Ed Flanders was in that, Jason Miller, and, um... There's like a cop in this who's always wearing sunglasses and he was in the ninth configuration as well. He has this really funny scene where he dresses up like a nun and tries to exercise a vending machine. So it's a, it's a real strange movie. But but yeah, Scott Wilson, definitely, um, if you like him as Herschel, I think he's really good in that flick. He's probably the best part of it. And he was also great in um, In the Heat of the Night, if anyone's Really? Yeah. Really? It's oh. strange to think because that's such an old movie,
1: like, but he was. Uh, I guess he goes back pretty far. Yeah, I mean he's old. <laughs> well, he died recently, a couple of years ago, right? But. Uh, oh, did he? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's no longer with us. He uh, died in the midst of, um, uh, the Walking Dead. After he died on the Walking Dead, he lived maybe a year or two more, and then he died.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. In terms of zombie. zombie.
1: Oh, sport spoilers for the Walking Dead.
0: Not that I care. I, I stopped watching that after the third season. Don't get me started.
3: I thought the fourth was like the best of the show. <laughs> well, anyway.
0: Oh, but yeah, your thoughts, Eric. We have we have we've been kind of just been talking around you here.
3: Well.
1: Uh oh! Fasten your <laughs> seatbelts. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, what
0: would no. you
3: like to know? What? What would you like to know? Would you like to know my favorite characters or actors? I should say.
1: Whatever you want to say about the movie.
3: Yeah. What? What do you think of
0: George C. Scott in the flick? Because I mean, again me and Sean had both state how much we love him in this.
3: but Two minds about that. One is, like if I had no idea who he was as an actor and it was just this guy in this movie giving this performance, it's fantastic. Uh, I, would, I would mirror what you guys were saying earlier. I didn't think it was... But Dorsey Scott, fantastic, compelling, great. But him being Dorsey Scott... And having the distinct look that George C. Scott has, like his face, was a little bit weirdly distracting for me. Um, And also, I was a bit confused at the beginning of the movie because I didn't exactly know who everyone was supposed to be. I'm talking about the older characters who are reprising the characters from the original. Uh I wasn't exactly sure who everyone's supposed to be. And George C. Scott it shouldn't even matter but the fact that he looks nothing like the original kinderman was weirdly distracting to me because even though kinderman's not even a big part of the first movie but it was still distracting that it, i just kept feeling like this is this is not him this is some other amazing person inhabiting his space uh, but it's not him almost like with um i don't even know what to call that character the one the one in the straight jacket what do they call him? Patient X.
0: Yeah. Patient X. Yes. The
3: the one, the one who resembles father. I don't know anybody's name in the movies, uh, in the franchise.
0: Well, it is is father character's body, but
3: right. But we see him as Dorf, but nobody else does, but how it's the same person with two faces. That's how I felt about Dorsey Scott playing his character was, it's like the same character with two different faces.
1: Um, and just to interject really quick, he was nominated for a Razzie for best for worst actor in this movie. George
0: George C. Scott? Scott. Yep. Oh, the Razzies are such shit.
2: <laughs>
3: I, I can see that. I mean, it's ridiculous, obviously. But there's a there's a bunch of Razzies sometimes that are given to good performances. Or and
1: uh, Brad dorff got a Saturn Award nomination for best supporting actor. There you go. At least someone recognized him.
3: Um, Brad dorff Yes, he was fantastic. I didn't feel like he was best actor material uh, nomination maybe but not winner
0: supporting actor but
3: fine supporting actor <laughs> nomination but not winner um, it was an intriguing movie it's because okay once I figured out who everyone was supposed to be um, and then getting into it as has already been described it's much more like a procedural well there's these two old friends and I wish I could think of other example, other great examples of this in other movies and things, because it is a trope of sorts. Uh, like the old friends who sort of act like, um, like grumpy old men.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Peter Finch and William Holden in Network. Okay, I've, seen I've only
3: seen that once or twice, and it's been a long time. But yeah, and I know there's countless examples out there uh, where they act like they hate each other, but they really love each other. That's that's cool. That's great. Um, and like you said it's a procedural and then when, when I started to realize oh it's because this reminds him of like a serial killer so it started turning into this whole Mindhunter thing uh, all that's interesting and then and then it was weird just me trying to connect it to the first movie because this is not necessarily a bad thing I'm just pointing it out that it's. I wish I had another good example of this on the top of my brain but where you have a sequel to an original where it's such a left turn that... Like, I felt like I was watching characters from the original movie, but they're... If this was a television show, this is a whole new episode. And they're like... Like like, like the X-Files. Yeah. Like, they're on a whole... Sculver Mully and Sculver Mully and... uh, Mulder and Scully? (laughs) They're... Yeah. They're on this whole different thing now, so forget about last week. Like, this is a new episode, and we're just carrying over some characters... So
1: this was not supposed to be the Exorcist 3 actually this was supposed to be Legion um, and the studio butthead said no 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 it's gonna be the Exorcist 3 I'm, I'm sure probably because one William Peter Blatty was like it's my book fuck you I want my <laughs> you know I want my own movie number two because then it would somehow be associated with Exorcist 2. And by the way, the fact that the house blew up at the end of Exorcist 2 is never mentioned in this. They don't, they don't go anywhere. There's no mention of anything in the Exorcist 2. Never say Pazuzu.
3: No, no, but, but But in the beginning, in the opening panning, before we get to the steps in, in their first reveal shot in the very beginning of the movie, they go by the lot. And it's obviously like... I can't even remember if there was even a structure there, and if there is, it's just you can tell it's not. You can tell it's supposed to be where the house was, but it looks completely different. Okay, all right. I definitely noticed that and during the opening credits, just before you see the stairs, you can see that you know things have changed. Which is uh, a great. But you wouldn't that know thing. that, of course, unless the original was like fresh in your mind or something, uh, like it was for me.
0: Oh, I, I love that opening dream sequence where you see the. Uh, yes. Was it Thomas? kinty was the kid's name like hands up rose and then tumbling down the stairs yeah it's i think it's kinty don't quote me on that
1: (laughs) uh
3: i agree with all that but hold on i wanted to ask a question um sure so if it was supposed to be legion and not exorcist 3 then what would that have meant if it was just legion would there be no ties to exorcist or or what are we saying when we say it was supposed to be or we just literally just talk about a different name well, it'd be more like the
0: ninth configuration because the ninth configuration, because that astronaut character continues on, and it deals with a lot of themes of religion versus evil. You could kind of look at it as like a spiritual sequel to The Exorcist in some okay, way. but even that one, so Legion would kind of be the same thing, because there would there's no Exorcist in the No, book. but
3: even ninth configuration. So does that is that in the same universe as the events of the first movie, or is it not? Yeah, I'm still not clear.
0: Yeah, because Regan or Reagan—I I don't know why I say Regan—she um, tells <laughs> the astronaut the you're gonna die up there, and that okay. kind of makes the astronaut loses loses mind, okay. and so he like sabotages the uh, ship and like goes into this crazy asylum with all these military people, and so you can kind of look at it as a sequel to the extra. So is
3: it inspired by, or is it actually in universe? Because. I think we were talking about this offline and i can't remember if it was with caleb i think it was with caleb offline um when we were talking about moon and its sequel um mm-hmm. was it mute? Mm-hmm. mute yeah yeah and okay so that's another radical departure for the sequel um and virtually no characters carry over but it is implied that yes this is the same universe you know even though it's a whole different situation so is it like that or not like that just inspired um, by the idea
0: well it, it is literally the same character has the same name so at least in terms of the book you could say it's a, a kind of sidequel in terms of the movie
3: or is it like multiple tarantino movies where people say they take place in the same universe and you have to like kind of stretch your imagination
0: because it's more of like completely the book to screen i would think um it's i would say at least in Blatty's mind it's kind of a sequel in a way Okay. Legion much more so a sequel. There's just no Exorcist in it, which is why it wouldn't have an Exorcist title.
3: Okay, okay. I'm starting to understand.
0: Yeah, but I'll just... Just because... I'm going to try not to mention Legion too much because I really did despise that book. I've never wanted to quit a book so much.
3: Was it your first time going through it?
0: Yeah, my first time going through it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kinderman is a completely different character in the book. He's also kind of old and bitter, but he's like religiously obsessed, and most of the book I don't I, have you guys ever read Michael Crichton
1: just Jurassic Park
3: just Jurassic Park yeah.
0: yeah you know how he turns Ian Malcolm basically into like his mouthpiece for the story where he just uses that character to spout off his views
1: on whatever the issue is of the day man it's been almost thirty years since <laughs> I read
3: that book okay I, okay I, I know what you're talking about every think about the movie
1: well
0: the, it's completely different in the movie but Great. kinderman is basically william peter blatty kind of discussing his views on religion and specifically how religion makes sense and science doesn't make any sense he repeatedly s- says in the book that you have to be a moron to believe in evolution and he like says all his oh, words so
3: is that bad on its face or because of what his thesis is or bad on on its face because of its execution in the book
0: It's bad on the thesis, because his views on science are complete misconceptions that don't make any sense, Right, but and bad on its face in terms of he halts the book for forever to just go on about these things, like nothing happens in the book until maybe the last 50 pages, (laughs) I would say.
3: The way you describe it, though, it sounds interesting to me, the bit that you just said you didn't like, so that's why I'm wondering what I would think if I actually read it myself Uh, because it sounds interesting conceptually not because i agree with it or anything but just because i'd like to hear what someone says even if i determine them to be completely wrong about you know the argument they're trying to make it still sounds like it'd be interesting to see how someone write that which is weird because you saying all that reminds me of the first thing i was going to say that this reminded me of uh speaking about how it's has like a weird connection to the first one but not really uh which is uh, the example I was going to first start with was um, some years ago, I think, when the movie came out. I read Ender's Game, the original novel, and then I read the one that comes right after it, the novel that comes right after it. Uh, I can't think of what it's called, but it's the second in the series. And I, I read the first, I saw the movie first, and I thought the movie was super interesting. And if you haven't seen it or read it, it's almost like Harry Potter in space in a way, like a sci-fi. There's mm-hmm. no magic or anything, but it's like a Harry Potter in space. Um, and it's, I thought that was super interesting. I thought, And it has like a toys, toy soldiers military school type vibe, which I thought was interesting with all the details and everything. And I thought, wow, that was a great book. Um, now I want to read the second one. And, and it's that same situation where it's like, okay, I recognize that character. But this is a completely different setting a completely different story almost doesn't resemble the the first in any way except that we had the same uh protagonist but everything's changed and it's a whole different type of story and everything and and i didn't expect that uh out of the second book but i still like the second book it's just if it wasn't for the character's name being ender I, i would almost not even think they were connected And then in the second book, I think, um, because the author whose name escapes me right now, um, he's known for being, uh, you know, very proud Mormon, I think proud, but uh, a lot of Mormon ideals are like woven in to all this stuff. And there are long sections uh, in the second book, especially, where there's a lot of Mormon religious allegory going on. they don't say the word Mormon, and it's done in like a sci-fi way about how this little pig alien culture, like how they have their own religion and everything. And I guess they're supposed to be like analogous to, I don't know, South Americans discovering Mormonism. I don't know. Um, but it's it goes on long stretches philosophizing about okay. trying to convince people in the novel's world to try to give it a chance to of, to understand like the little pig aliens' like religion, because to humans it's it's like all poppycock, but you know it tries to it tries to have the reader and other characters have an open mind about it, um, and that's kind of what the second book is a lot of what it's all about. But I don't it just seems weird. I mean, because after you said what you said, I was just like. Oh because
0: yeah for my last words on Legion with Michael Crichton I often disagree with his extremely cynical take on science but he knows how to tell a good story and how to keep the pace up whereas Blatty it's like he forgot that he was even telling a story and all he wanted to do was just discuss his philosophical beliefs about good versus evil or the fact that evolution couldn't possibly exist because people feel love and why would we feel love if it wasn't for god because it it was just like complete every time you
3: say why you don't like the book it makes me want to check it out (laughs) everything you say
0: i would call it mindless ramblings uh put into a book but
3: (laughs) but see that's how i felt the first time i read doff exactly that opinion and then i had to keep forcing myself And (laughs) and then it revealed it no i'm saying that's that's how it was with me at Eyes Wide Shut and other things. Like, I don't get it oh, no. <laughs> on first consumption. And there's certain things that I will force myself because I I have, like, a weird faith, misguided faith maybe, <laughs> that that I'm not getting it because I'm not getting it. And I will, like, try that thing over and over again. And then it doesn't always work, but it worked with Eyes Wide Shut and Dostoevsky. And that that I start to see through the haze... and and then like a little light bulb goes off so the way you described legion the novel like looks like a challenge to me and it makes me want to check it out
0: i'd be fascinated to hear your thoughts because yeah i i thought it was just horrible
3: me too i'd be fascinated to hear my own thoughts because that sounds super interesting
0: but i love this movie and uh yeah that's that's i'm not gonna talk about the book anymore as much as i can because yeah i just don't even want to think about it anymore i was so pissed off Does
1: sean still have a pulse i'm still here i'm 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 listening i don't have anything to say about Your what you body y'all are talking but not
3: about. in mind uh
1: yeah oh, i'm actually watching the movie uh me too um, me too I, it's on the scene where um father dryer is found dead and all of his blood is you know simply put into vials and containers next to his bed. And I was thinking about how this movie, Blatty incorporates a lot of very static shots, mm-hmm. um, long shots time-wise. And there's this great shot. It's a, uh, from the, from the uh, point of view of, if you are maybe a moth up in the corner of the, of the uh, hospital mm-hmm. room, and, um, or a locust, And it goes on for, like, two minutes of them talking about the crime scene. And everybody's standing still. And obviously, Kinderman is very upset because his, you know, good friend has been killed. And they're talking about how the murderer managed to drain the body of all its blood, you know, without leaving a single drop anywhere or a smudge or anything. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me very much of something like... um, I really think that David Fincher may have taken up it. Maybe not, but it reminds me of seven. Absolutely. The way that they're talking about a crime scene and they, you know, they've never seen anything like this before. What the fuck? This isn't your standard, you know, uh, murder that happens in a lot of, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a um, urban area. Um, I also notice that, uh, uh, bloody put a lot of random things in here like uh, I'm seeing it right now when he's talking to the nurse Women, strange cutaway shots of uh, you know somebody's uh, hands in their laps or um, there's a scene uh, the, both the nurse and one of the old ladies that's used as a uh, as a uh, I don't know what you would say to commit murder to commit the dryer murder the vessel. The, the radio lady yeah vessel that's the word I'm looking for vessel there is it it carries over a theme from the first movie about just medicine in general and how it's just a system that a lot of times the hospital system does not function or does not work Mm. um and the scene where i remember the first time i saw this the scene where he goes in to see the mental ward um with herschel with his unsmoked cigarette um there's a lady that comes up to kinderman and says are you my son? And they're using that same voice, not quite well, but uh, they're using that same voice that was used to uh, right before they uh, she killed the priest. And that's when that's the that's when I had the light bulb moment. Like, oh my God, they're using old people as vessels uh, to kill all these other people. And it's right, it's not right. it's not the guy in cell eleven because that guy is just he's he's possessed with. Uh, the, 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 the spirit of the Gemini killer, and he's torturing um, Kar- Karis in there as well. And he explains it, you know, you have to read between the lines the way he explains it to Kinderman. But Yeah, says so he's a, a traveling man. I
3: feel like there was. I'm not an X Files expert. I've only seen like 15 episodes, 20 maybe total from random seasons. I feel like there's um, an episode, like in season one, where scully is like talking to somebody it might even be the same actor for darn sake as the guy in cell 11 it might even be the same actor in x-files and you know she's she's doing the whole silence of lambs thing clarice thing like trying to get information from him and i wonder if there's some element of this out of body thing happening because i just feel like this is an x-files episode i've seen before or something
1: um yes uh there was um i think it there would be somebody who would um possess like doctors I, it opened with a uh um a scene at a plastic surgery clinic and the patient was undergoing liposuction and the doctor just takes the the liposuction instrument and just keeps going and going until it's, it's not just fat coming through but blood that might be the same episode but Maybe. i don't know the X X Files is so I'm so hot and cold on that. that you, you'd see a really good episode.
3: Well, yeah, well that's because there's really great episodes and there's really throwaway yeah, episodes, yeah. but whatever. Uh, um, TNG was like that, especially in the early years. But anyway, yeah. I know played Star Trek. But I want to say the things that Sean was just talking about about the visuals and the weird close-ups and the camera angles mm-hmm. and the static shots. I love all that. I love all that in this movie. One hundred percent. Um. Um. What's the other thing? Yeah. Oh, Sean was mentioning about the whole thing, the, the part where the, the body's been completely drained of blood somehow or whatever. Do you guys know that I've been like in a real morgue before? I don't know if I've ever talked about that. And been in a real morgue, and I've seen real uh, corpses mm. there that are being prepared uh, for storage and whatnot. And I've seen them in different stages of preparation. Um, they will literally take like a fresh corpse, and they have these meat hooks that looks just like mm-hmm. something out of like a slaughterhouse.
1: Mm-hmm. I know you're talking about.
3: Yeah, and they like hang the body on there, and I don't know where they make the incision, and they drain all the blood completely out. And I've seen the apparatus, and then there's like the drain on the floor. It looks like a old like 70s, 80s Camino shower with the Old tile, and at least the morgue I was in, um, and then uh, and I saw like one of the I don't know what you want to call it one of the uh, one of the bodies right there after it's been completely drained, just lying there. And I remember just like looking at it, like thinking, like it's like so real looking, it looks fake. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense? Like I re- I felt like I was in a super hyper realistic uh, haunted house because it's like wait that's how that's how it might look on tv except this is like the real thing i don't know and i don't know i think i have weird thoughts when i see these things like in film like stuff like that because like when i saw it in real life um i don't know uh i turned into like sherlock or something uh the the Moffat version where he can be like be detached to things um, that that might repulse other people, because I, I went to the more more than once, by the way, and uh, I don't know. I would just stare at this stuff and just be thinking about stuff. But I don't know. But I don't. I don't think that's what normal people do, <laughs> especially especially if they don't work there. I mean, if they're not used to that.
1: What does this have to do with it?
3: Uh, I don't know. You just evoked all these thoughts when you were talking about in the movie when they're talking about all the blood being drained out, and then it just put me oh back okay. there and i was just thinking about all that and 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 because when you were describing it i don't know i don't know what feeling it evoked in you that in the movie um but it, it affected me in the movie the same way that experience affected me in real life where i feel this weird out of body detachment where it doesn't seem scary or or shocking i just feel like i'm just staring and processing Hmm. i don't mm. know I'm, I'm weirdly, I'm weirdly flatlined.
1: Yes, yes, I had that as well, uh, that effect with this movie. I wasn't um, horrified like if I was watching uh, uh, Seven, which I brought up before. But I was gonna say Seven. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I was. I think that's a really good point. Um, can we talk about? But I don't know if that's because
3: we're weird. I'm, I'm, but anyway, <laughs> go on.
1: Can we talk about the uh, uh, purgatory dream
3: that he has near mm. the beginning?
0: Yeah, with uh, Fabio
3: i felt like i was watching uh what is it um something go to heaven with uh, warren Beatty. oh um yeah i know what you're talking about player yeah 70s um heaven
1: I'll
3: can wait yeah that's it that's it i saw that movie quite a few times when i was young for some reason and it's always stuck with me even though i haven't seen it since the early 80s and I don't know I felt like I was watching that movie or another movie like that, like Defending Your Life or something with like a weird um, heaven scene. Or But something. he
1: says he says something in that that's that almost made me laugh, but it was so uncomfortable. I couldn't. I, he's like, oh, what was the little boy's name that was killed? Yeah, oh, Thomas, Tommy, I'm so sorry you had to get murdered. I miss you. Ooh, yeah, that sent a little chill up my spine. A yeah, it, but it's like, um, yeah, it, but it, what the fuck? But he's dreaming, so it's like you know, shit happens like but that. That's mind.
3: the kind of thing, yeah, that's the kind of thing I'd say in, in a surreal dream if I was having one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I loved about that sequence. It had such a weird kind of energy to it.
3: And then why the random celebrity cameos or, <laughs> or like, no, I mean, because there's got to be some design to that, to. to to insert them.
1: Okay, okay. This is a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but we have a Fabio. Uh, Samuel Jackson doesn't count because Samuel Jackson yeah, that's was not a cameo. <laughs> yeah, that's not a cameo. I didn't see him. He was um, there was a lady talking on a like a radio, like a ham radio, trying to talk to the living. And Samuel Jackson was sitting nearby listening, and it looked like he was blind because he had a cane and sunglasses on. And he goes, "You can't uh, talk to the living. The living lie or something like that."
3: It's a reference I I to the book, that, by but I the didn't way. Realize it Was him? But go on, naming your celebrity. That's in the book.
1: That's
0: in the book. No, it's it's a reference to the book. They go on this gigantic tie. Uh, what's the word? Bunny trail about uh, the dead speaking to somebody through radio, which ultimately amounts to nothing. So,
1: <laughs> but anyway, hmm. um, and Fabio, Pet- is it Patrick Ewing? Yes, yeah, it Patrick is. Ewing's That is thing. Yeah. that is dealing out tarot cards. To Father uh, uh, Dyer, Dyer. and eventually near the end of the sequence, he's holding out. He's he's putting out just the hangman, the hangman, the hangman, which is actually in uh, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Herschel's office. There's a picture of the hangman in Doctor Herschel's office. I did not go and look up what the hangman means in Tarot, uh, the Tarot universe, Um, but but I should know that because at one point I was studying that. But I kind of like. I don't know. I had to work and drink and all that. Uh,
3: <laughs> I love so, the
0: I love Patrick Ewing's wings, though. I was like, damn, those look awesome. Yeah,
3: yeah. throwback yes. to Barbarella. Yes, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> it was that was really neat. And when the dream begins, and and he goes to the doors, those big double doors, and they open up. Uh, those double doors can be seen later on in the movie when he's having the argument with the psychiatrist in the office in the hospital you look oh. on, the, on the bulletin hmm. board, there's a picture, a drawing of those double doors.
3: The tarot card, the meaning of the hangman, it it basically sums up the whole scene. Um, it's a card that suggests ultimate surrender, sacrifice, or being suspended in time. So you could think of it as those people having been killed, but suspended, like in between, I guess.
1: Purgatory. I oh, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And surrender, because that's what uh, Dr. Herschel eventually does, is he kills himself. After, oh, yeah. after the nurse is killed
0: yeah that's that whole radio bit in the book it's all about purgatory just to signify it's essentially only in the book to signify that there's a place in between life and death
3: oh, it depends how the card right. gets placed like if it's up or up or down because if it's up it means because okay either way it means you're stuck in something uh or like maybe you're trying to go through a change but you're stuck if, if the card is placed upright it's saying that perhaps you can break the old pattern and change, but if it's like upside down, it could mean you're stuck uh, and you won't be able to affect change. I don't know anything about Tarot, but that that sounds super interesting. (laughs) Uh, um, I like all that bit too uh, because, okay, that whole sequence, it works for me even though I'd probably have to watch the movie a bunch more times to get more ideas about it and everything else, but I don't know why it works for me and then you know, we famously or infamously um, watched Eight and a Half one time for Prognag. Uh, I can't remember who was on it except for I remember Kyle was on it. Yeah. And I just remember – that movie is on so many, like, filmmakers and critics, like, top 10 lists. Um, or when people make Criterion lists, it's often in people's top 10s. And I only watched it the one time for that podcast, and I just didn't get it.
1: <laughs> it's okay. Hardly you are not alone and, but i mean this
3: scene reminds you like it could be like a little slice out of eight and a half but I, it works for me in this movie i guess because it's understandable enough and it doesn't dominate the whole movie but i don't know I, one of these days i'm gonna go back to eight and a half because i just didn't get it and i want to get it
1: the film also sort of makes you a little paranoid there's the scene where um and i don't know if this was in the book caleb but uh he goes to visit that one priest um and ask him about like um You know, what's the connection? And the priest mentions the fact that, you know, Father Dyer was a good friend of Damien, and um, the other priest who was killed was the one that approved the exorcism, and the boy that was killed is the son of the lady who uh, tested the audio uh, cassette. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, some hokey horror stuff when he, you know, lights are flashing on and off, and the statue of a saint suddenly turns into, like, it looks like the fucking Joker, do um, you know what I'm talking about? It looks, like ex- it looks like
3: they literally took a Joker head and then yeah. attached it.
1: And there he bumps into the father's uh, secretary and she's like, oh, I have a speech. Could you please give this in, bring this in to father? And there's a shot of her running down the stairs and she's dressed in an all black slick raincoat and a, and a black hat. And for a moment, for just a moment... I was, re- and I don't know if this this has to be on purpose. I was reminded of like a Giallo movie, where a murder has been committed and the murderer is running away, or and I instantly thought, oh, she could be the killer. And I think that effect for me was better than the stupid hokey lights flashing on and off, and the Joker yeah. statue. That that was that looked too much like the Joker to do anything for me. But I'm sure audiences at the time that in, that, that appreciated the film would think otherwise. So. Yeah, I don't think people did
0: appreciate this at the time. I think it was kind of a flop. So that's what it
3: seems like <laughs> from reading Wikipedia. And yeah. that's the thing. I I probably I probably saw the trailer for this movie before I saw anything Exorcist in my life. Um and I so I remember it came out and then it was gone. And I so I always in my mind I'd always assume that this was just a really bad movie or mm-hmm. sequel. Mm. Just based on my scant memories. Uh, So when it first got raised, um, when Caleb said, I'd like to do Exorcist 3. And I thought, because that's how this whole thing started. Us doing these Exorcist movies was because Caleb said Exorcist 3. And I thought initially in that split second that his motivation was maybe this is like some schlocky uh, horror movie. And that's why he picked it. But then he said he liked it so much. And then when Sean got into these discussions of us potting, and he said that he loved it. So then that's why I was kind of confused. Because I just assumed or always thought it was a really bad movie.
1: No, absolutely not. This is this is probably one of the best horror sequels ever. Um, mm-hmm. Horror sequels. Uh, I'm not talking about drama sequels. Not that there's a lot of them, like The Godfather. But uh
0: I'll just add I also had just assumed this was crap because I'd seen The Exorcist as a kid and I'd seen The Exorcist two on T V. I don't I don't think I ever watched it all the way through because it was so bad, but every now and again I would like see parts of it and be like, Holy crap, this is horrible. And so I just assumed the Exorcist three must be just terrible as well and Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it until twenty seventeen when I did that big watch
1: through with all the movies and I was blown away.
3: I think people just generally don't like the late seventies vibe in anything or most things. <laughs>
1: no no eric stop defending the movie No,
3: i know there's other aspects that people can harp on on that movie. i get it but i still mm-hmm. think that that sets a bad table like right off the bat for a lot of people i think and then it gets into what it gets into and, and because people already have a bad taste in their mouth i feel like they tumble down that there's a um, lot of brilliant but, stuff in the late 70s. So. That late 70s yeah. aesthetic weirdly drew me in the first time for whatever reason, and that probably shaded my things. So, oh, look at the hangman Upside Down. Oh, we're not all watching it in sync. No. But <laughs> when we get to um, Smoking Doctor's office and he's admiring his own portrait, there's the Upside Down hangman right next to it.
0: Yeah. I love that he has his own portrait in his room.
1: <laughs> like, what a fucking asshole. Yes. <laughs>
2: oh, jeez.
3: <laughs> I have one in my it's, office right now.
1: It's like uh, oh no, I'm like, sorry, Eric.
3: I, I'm not in my office right now, but when I get, I mean, at work, I will send you guys a picture. Oh, of, a picture of me Okay. Do you do you stare office.
0: at it as you smoke a cigarette in your office?
3: <laughs> oh my gosh, I sit there sometimes, and I'm like, "Where's my vape pen? Where's my?" And I realize, oh no, like we oh, so no. cannot bring tobacco products into our building. Oh,
0: uh, okay. I loved, I loved uh, Dyer smoking in his hospital bed. I was like, Jesus wept.
2: <laughs> <a different> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to mention
3: that because you know how in IMDb these days they have the little section like for people who are trying to figure out if the movie is good family viewing, so <laughs> they um, they rate it. In different categories, you know, so you can judge it.
1: It's such fucking bullshit. I fucking. <laughs> I know, hate but it. look, this you, is actually. Wait, so wait let me go back on my like, favorite one. Uh, if you wait, if you try to find a movie that had, okay, Gosford Park. I remember I looked up Gosford Park, and there's there is a statue in the background in one scene that contains bare breasts. I'm like, what? No, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I hate. You could tell those are the people that would like rent from clean flicks
3: when that was around. Yeah, but this one's a bit more. Quixotical. Um, let's see. I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, I never uh, heard like, that word before. That's a reference to Don Quixote. Like, head in the clouds. Um, <laughs> uh, sex and nudity. Mild. Violence and gore. Severe. Profanity. Mild. Alcohol, drugs, and smoking. <gasps> mild. <laughs> Frighting and intense scenes. Severe. But uh,
2: how did they come up with Mild. I I would. (laughs) Smoking.
0: My favorite one is Alien vs. Predator, where they say in the PG 13 rating, uh, slime. That somehow (laughs) is factored into the PG 13 rating. I like
2: um,
3: a lot of the modern war movies. Oh, and they retroactively put this to older war movies when they. No, I think it's the newer. Anyway, there's a lot of newer war movies where they put um, historical smoking. I love the historical smoking. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) You know, in
1: the in, in the inverse, I don't like it when I watch movies that are set in the fifties or sixties or even the forties when everybody fucking smoked. I mean, even in the seventies. Oh yeah, me. and and it, they're made now. I remember I heard a critic uh, or somebody on a podcast say the movie Hidden Figures, which is about the three the the three black ladies who helped with NASA, and uh, you know it's a pretty good movie. Nobody smokes in that movie, and he's like, it bothers me. You know, like nobody, people were, sm- if you watch Apollo 13s, people were smoking left and right. You can get lung cancer just by watching the movie.
3: I love that in historical movies that are historical period pieces and the ones that were actually produced yes. in the period. I, I don't know why I love it. And in, in, when I started watching Mad Men, oh my God, my God, uh, like six years ago or something <laughs> from the beginning. Okay, first of all, I love that show so much but seriously by and maybe there is something to it about censorship and and ratings and things on this subject because i swear by season three or four when i was binging the whole series um when i would oh the new episodes were coming out for season six and i was caught up whenever it was madman time because i would watch it live um i would literally get like a snifter and whiskey (laughs) <laughs> and I would get a cigar, and I would be like, "Here we go!" And like the the music would be starting like live on television, and I would just like sit back in my recliner and start like smoking and drinking whiskey.
1: They also did that quite well in Adventure in Space and Time, the Doctor Who movie about the making of Doctor Who. So much smoking and drinking. Um, anyway, I, I just want to let you know I'm watching the director's cut on um, on the Blu-ray right now. I don't think that there's anything uh, important that was added. And what's sad is that, and I I got this with another movie, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Generations movie, which is awesome, um, that all the stuff that's added in, they couldn't find film prints of it. It was all gone, but they could only find uh, VHS uh, uh, footage of it. So you'll be watching this perfectly crisp movie and then there's like 30 seconds of like VHS quality, you know, added on. And I don't see that it was that big of a deal. Maybe I think, however, they may have cut out the whole father uh, mourning stuff.
3: I this is tangential. I'm I apologize, but that's my stick is to be tangential. But do you think <laughs> you're reminding me of the Criterion release of King Kong versus uh, Godzilla? <laughs> um, because. Because of licensing, that Godzilla, because most of them are all Toho, but King Kong versus Godzilla in North America, only the MGM, I think it is, or Universal. That's the only version allowed in the United States. Uh, you're not you're not supposed to be able to import like the Toho version. Um, you have to, and of course, it's a it's a the it's the American cut, kind of like the original Godzilla. How there's like the American cut that's altered um, for to be more Americanized. Um, with some inserted American characters. Well, that's kind of how the MGM Universal version is, but it's not even listed on like the liner notes on the outside of the Criterion set. It's like a secret special feature on the bonus disc that's not even listed, that yep. you get to see the Japanese version for like the first time. And I guess the way they get around it uh, is the all the footage that's the same from the american version looks pristine criterion cleaned up and then when you see the the cut bits that they've added back in from the japanese version it converts to like low quality vhs sort of uh it is jarring for sure and it happens a lot because there's a lot of japanese stuff that's cut but at least you get to kind of get a taste of the original which has a very different flavor it's more it's like more it has a more serious tone in the japanese version yes. than the american
0: version much better too it blew my mind when i discovered that because when the first when the set came out i was pretty disappointed that it didn't have that
3: it blew your mind it really did i was disappointed too yeah because
0: <laughs> yeah. i'd wanted to see it for so many years and then one day someone just on an offhanded comment mentioned it in one of my godzilla groups that, that was on there i was like holy fuck and i immediately watched it, but. Anyway, all right.
3: Sean's gone to comatose
2: again.
1: We got a resuscitation. No, no, no. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, Godzilla is not my. So you know at the end of the movie where um they're in the graveyard and they're I don't know what they're doing. It's not really clear. Do you want to, the final shot of the movie?
3: Well, aren't they laying the body to rest? And, yeah, and, and just paying their last respects. Yeah.
1: Well, in the in the in the director's cut, that is in the middle of the movie before Kinderman starts talking to Brad Dorif and they are actually exhuming Karis's body for some reason um, and the reason probably I can't tell from watching it without any um, any uh, subtitles or dialogue so either Karis I, I'm willing to bet that Karis' body was missing from his grave um, because at the end I, I got the idea that they were burying Karis for good
3: Oh, see, see so, so Karis is the father from the steps in the first one right because yep. I don't know anybody's name. Okay, yeah. so that's what I was trying to—that's one thing I was trying to understand after while watching and after watching this movie, because I couldn't understand. Because I was like, okay, he died, right? This is what I'm thinking. He died <laughs> at the end of the first movie. So then I thought, is this some random guy that was picked up under the bridge, and he was somehow metamorphosized to look like him? Um, or my other thought was. Did we just think he died, and in the lore of the movie verse, they just treated it as if he died? But then he secretly lived, but they didn't tell anybody, and they just locked him up. Like after the events, those are the two theories that I had, and I wasn't sure what the, what the heck was the correct theory. And I'm not saying it's one of those two because apparently there's many other options. So, so they, what? They do what explain was close it. supposed to have happened? So it's just open to interpretation. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, no, they do explain it. He was buried. Oh, in they do it. explain it. It took him a few days to get himself out of the... He eventually broke free and climbed right out of the grave. So they explain that in the movie? Yeah, they do. And um, okay. uh, Brad Durham says that he spooked some, like, person who's working in the grave, and he got some amusement out of that. But,
3: yeah, he says so much. And even if I heard that, I might I might have just taken it as if, like, he was being facetious. Like, even if I heard that when I was watching the movie.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, in the book, they I think they say that someone else was buried... Because they do find a body, and um, Kinderman's like get this checked out at once, because that's not him. So, I'm assuming that he must have just opened it up, and it didn't even look like Karis or something. But
3: let me check QAnon real quick for the true answer.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do love the Gemini Killer's explanation that just as Karis was leaving his body, they like grabbed a hold of him because he'd done so many good deeds for them that they just slipped him right in there. Just as a little bit of revenge, Paris.
3: Okay, here's okay. I have another question since I've only seen this movie once and there's still a lot of holes in my understanding of the plot.
1: Yeah, that that's the problem with this movie.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, so is the Gemini Killer or Worm Tongue? That is that <laughs> is that? I don't even want to say it out loud because I feel like I, I'm making a dumb statement if I say it out loud. Oh, go but ahead. here it goes. Is that supposed to be Pazuzu? Or some other Satan spawned Keiko demon?
1: No, it it's it's the Gemini Killer. Uh, Pazuzu. Well, okay, okay,
3: I get it's the Gemini Killer, but see, I was confused because I kept thinking, so Pazuzu was the Gemini Killer all along. No. Like that's not, and I was like, that's weird, and that's what I kept thinking.
1: So when the Gemini Killer was executed in the electric chair, Pazuzu came to him and said, look, your work is not finished yet. I need to put you in the body of somebody else. And from there, um, the Gemini Killer was able to take his spirit and put it in somebody else's body, specifically the old people in the hospital. And then while that was happening, Brad Dorff was like into a deep coma, but his brain activity was wild. Am I getting that right, Caleb? Right? Just one correction. He says it was the one who chose
0: him to Uh, be... um as a mockery to Karis for removing Pazuzu from Reagan's See, body. It was kind of like Satan himself picked him.
3: I completely misinterpreted it. I kept taking it as, as if those were Pazuzu's words or Pazuzu's speaking. And then, so whenever, so I'm thinking it's Pazuzu. When every time they said the one, I took that to mean like um, uh, Satan himself. So, I, would,
1: I guess I was just completely confused. I, I agree. No, I, I agree. It's Satan himself. I would say that. Yeah, it's not Pazuzu, it's Satan. It's Satan himself. Yeah,
0: I, I love that they, just to get revenge for Karis for having done that exorcism, they put a serial killer in his body and then kill a bunch of his friends. <laughs> like, it's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. What an evil move.
1: Yeah, with the possible exception of the little boy, but he, he wasn't really his friend. I mean, even if his mother wasn't his friend. Yeah, yeah. It's still a horrible crime. And also, uh, when uh, Kinderman slaps, or uh, no, breaks Brad Dourif's nose. And I call him Brad Dourif because I think in the movie, um, he's called something else. I can't remember. I think it's Patient. Is it Patient X or is that uh, Jason Miller? Anyway. That's Miller. Yeah.
3: But it's the same character.
1: Yeah. And... Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, he says something like, um, oh, that's going to be uh, what, you, what you texted us, Kel before it's your invitation to the dance. Yeah. And what happens after that is uh, the nurse gets killed, and she's, like, fucking innocent. She has nothing to do with any of this. She's just a pretty nurse, and man, that's great. Um, not that she died, but the sequence is great. Mm-hmm. It's never explained who actually kills her, who, who, whose body was used as a vessel to kill her. And then we get the the sequence with is it Vivica Linfors, uh, who I've always uh, known as the uh, drunk lady in the first sequence of the first creep show, uh, who's who killed her father. Oh my God, that's her! Yeah, that's oh, her. Yeah, <laughs> she looks the same. She looks the same. Yeah, now that you say
3: it, Wait, I can no see she? it. Yeah, yeah. Is she in the movie.
1: Uh, in the very first sequence, Father's Day uh, she was the one that mm-hmm. uh, returned to no, her no, father no. In this movie. Yeah. oh she plays the nurse who, or no I'm sorry she doesn't play nurse she plays one of the old people who kills a nurse, steals her clothes and then goes to Kinderman's house to okay. kill his entire family
0: yeah she's got a brilliant scene in, in Creepshow which I think she basically wrote herself, I think Stephen King was kind of pissed off by that scene she rewrote all the
1: dialogue yeah she gets drunk and she's yelling at her father's grave and you know and then his hand pops up and he strangles her and yeah
3: stephen king used to chill out with all that stuff about people reinterpreting his material because i feel like that's standard
0: practice (laughs) yeah yeah the booze wrecks her dad and where's my cake bedelia
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so great what i think that was ed harris's first movie if memory serves I may be wrong. You may, may be in something else. No, he was in a previous George Romero film, *Night Riders*. Have you Have you uh, seen that? No, no, no.
0: Oh, it's one of his best works, *Night Riders*. Really? Yes, shockingly. I feel like
3: Caleb is a vessel who's possessed by an older soul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this This evolves into a scene where she goes to. Uh, uh, Kinderman's house you know his wife is tricked into thinking that there's going to be a nurse coming by dropping off a package and she's got the scissors with her I call them scissors I know they're, they're body shears and, and a scene that I think is supposed to be kind of scary but just comes off a little clumsy she tries to cut off <laughs> Kinderman's <laughs> daughter's head but her uh, halfway senile grandmother
3: it was very Evil evil Dead too. Uh, yeah, it looked fake, right? <laughs> but oh, It it looked very Evil Dead 2, but I didn't hate it, just like I don't hate Evil Dead 2 for some reason. I think because I saw it as a kid.
1: So, fun fact about the actress that played Kinderman's daughter. She's dead. Uh, she died in December, like three months ago.
3: That's super fun.
1: Was it COVID? Uh, she died on New Year's Eve. Um, I wasn't able to figure out how she died, but um, she was only 53. So... A lot of people are dead in this movie, so watch out, Brad Dourif. Well, Most of the people are senior citizens, so...
0: That's too bad. I, I really recognize that girl. I couldn't figure out what I recognized her from, but... You, you
1: know what? I the, the
0: sassy older nurse? No, uh, Kinderman's daughter, Julie. I did recognize the sassy elderly... or not elderly, but the sassy uh, older nurse, but...
3: Well, older. I mean, to be fair, she's probably 49, like, when this movie was made, but... Um,
0: yeah, I meant to look her up. Cause she's really—I
3: know she struck me as like central casting out of out of uh, horror movies, like the Night Nurse or something. I mean, <laughs> another very larger than life arc. Uh, no, uh, caricature. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I could see that. Which again, I didn't hate, but she seemed like almost as if how um, how uh, Hannah. Um, Daryl Hannah was like the crazy killer nurse in... Uh, yeah, Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill. Uh, but it, like, just this out of, I mean, this wacky character, which I'm fine with. It just, it's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, all of it.
1: I'm looking at her filmography. Um, the last thing she did was Love Shack in 2010. Um, hold on, I should, I should be able to find uh, something that she was in.
0: Every time I saw that older nurse, I'd always think of um, So I Married an Axe Murder, for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, but... That's a great movie. Yes, it is. More people
3: need to see that movie. (laughs) It's like the the best my Oh, okay,
1: okay. Uh, She played Rose in Death Becomes Her, which is uh, (sighs) probably... I thought
3: you were going to say Titanic. (laughs) Uh,
1: Let's see. Oh, wait, Uh, yeah,
3: Titanic. That's right. (laughs) Oh,
1: I don't recognize. I feel bad. Oh, she was in four episodes of Roseanne. Um, oh yes,
2: of course.
0: Roseanne
3: that's Roseanne. where I
1: know her from.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, she was. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't figure out. I think I, I just got a a, lot, a big like Chloris Leachman feel from her. From um, what's that movie? High Anxiety, where she plays more course uh leachman plays a a nurse oh she was in the american graffiti sequel more american graffiti
3: what there, there was a sequel to that She's <laughs> yeah but it's just like the sequel to another famous movie of that time oh.
1: rosemary's baby the french
3: connection no. whatever what happened, happened to rosemary's baby yeah no there was this there was a movie that came before it that was a sequel to another famous original oh I, I think it's like whatever oh maybe I'm thinking the sequel of The Last Picture Show um, I think has similar themes that had a sequel? yeah we talked about it well we mentioned it, it was, but it came out like in 1990 or 91 or something oh but I think Picture Show the sequel had like a similar theme to American Graffiti um, the sequel which is the characters are you know older now from the original and, and like of course, there's a character who, like, had to go to war and came back. And, you know, he's dealing with, like, his PTSD and stuff um, from being drafted and everything. But, yeah. Yeah, it's very different. American Graffiti, too. 2 That's so strange. Wow. Yeah, I, I think we got to talk about
1: the end of this film. Um, I said earlier, it shits the bed.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: do not like this scene between brad Dorov/ slash jason miller and george c scott in that cell where the floor fl- the floor falls out and george c scott is like you know pasted onto the wall in a crucifix uh, or a crucifixion pose oh really hmm. i did no oh, really no
0: oh that's the only part of the exorcism that i did like really when he gives like his i believe speech
1: I guess, yeah, he's good with that, but I think that this movie was better than you know, like, oh, let's throw some special effects in there, you know, let's uh, let's uh, stick Nicole Williamson to a, to a ceiling, <laughs> and then do it with George C. Scott, and then at the end, pull a Hellraiser, like peel his skin off. <laughs> yeah, that was too gory for this
0: movie. That was, uh, yeah, and from what I can tell, the studio actually stepped in and was like, um, Bladdy, like fuck you, or just bring in a producer to film these scenes. Yes. So Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Which is too bad. But <laughs> yeah, no, the, all that stuff, especially the stuff with just Jason Miller and the priest, I thought was really bad. I think I even wrote my notes that the movie went from like an eight out of ten to like a five out of ten during Yes. Those scenes. Yeah. It did not end well at all. Um But I did think when um uh, Kinderman finally showed up, and he did give that speech where he like was giving a summation of all the stuff that he thought about the world. because I believe in filth and
1: evil and all this stuff? I thought that was great, but otherwise, yeah, it was pretty poor. Yeah, and you know he ends up shooting the patient, basically uh, mm-hmm. ending it. You know, he, at, at a moment when Jason Miller has, or I'm sorry, Damien cares has control of the entity, uh, control of uh, the Gemini Killer, and he shoots him in the head. You know, I'm I guess if you kill someone when they have that, it makes the entity go away. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that uh, the movie would end that way. I think it would be somebody committing Kinderman or sending him to jail. Um, because I don't think uh, people, <laughs> folks are going to believe that story. Just, hashtag just saying. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it should have just ended on him shooting him,
0: honestly. And then that, yeah. they do like that son. I thought that's how they should have ended it instead of yeah. showing the gravesite. I agree I thought it was wonderful that Karis actually kind of brought himself back in the end because that doesn't happen in the book Karis never comes back he's just when he died on the end of the steps he was dead for good but
3: mm-hmm. I don't like how generally uh, lowercase D don't uh, don't dislike in sequels when uh, when it it's 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 a reprisal of what was done like in the previous one. When it's like the same, similar, same resolution again.
1: Yes, yes. And that was part of the problem here. It's like, oh, we've got a problem. Um, Let's call Father Morning. Dude, (laughs) how do you know Father Morning? Why did you just pick up the phone and say, hey, get me Father Morning? Like, you know, there's no explanation behind that.
0: Yeah, and we had that scene with him and like, tending to an injured bird. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, there's some really lame symbolism.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly the injured bird and then the bird
3: dies they did like a lord i believe they did like a lord of the rings uh shot effect trick shot effect during that scene when the it's almost unintentionally comical when the little crucifix falls off the wall and uh, lands (laughs) on the floor but they do this um trick shot that peter jackson did in fellowship of the rings where then the camera perspective goes down to the floor like mouse level and the crucifix Mm -hmm. looks humongous i bet you that crucifix in actuality it was three or four feet long in real life, like lying before the camera in the shot do you guys remember that shot? And When it bleeds
0: Yeah, when it bleeds it bleeds tears. I was thinking of uh, the last Planet of the Apes movie, Battle
3: Oh, I was going to carry But, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know I just, I just like that film effect uh, uh, Peter Jackson did in Fellowship uh, at one point Frodo drops a ring in the snow and the ring looks humongous because uh, the camera perspective is the same but then when you watch the making the ring was like as big as like a tire rim. Uh, you know they put like right in front of the camera. But anyway,
1: you have mentioned every other movie except for <laughs> The Exorcist Part 3 in this in this podcast era.
3: Well, it it reminds me of many movies and many I have not mentioned. <laughs> it it's it's a, because of the technique and the zaniness and every element you guys have said It reminds me of so many things all put together, um, but that is in no way a bad thing. But see, Eric? Actually, I kind of like that.
0: I feel the same way. Things remind me of a million other things, but it's so derailing. (laughs) I don't (laughs) mind, of course. I I think it's fun.
3: Boy, which part? What's derailing? Just that that in and of itself?
0: Yeah, just jumping off into a million different things. I don't mind, but... Oh, if
3: the movie works, it doesn't bother me at all. If the movie sucks, then what's the point? But... You know.
0: No, I just mean because yeah, the, it's everything's reminiscent of something, you know. But
3: I know, but I mean heavily, like oh gosh, this reminds me. Like I was just thinking, it's weird that so much this takes place in a hospital, and that just made me think of Halloween too, for whatever reason.
1: Uh, but but you didn't do this with with Heretic 2, You were you, or, or Exorcist 2, Exorcist Two Heretic. You were fully in, zoomed in
3: on that movie, focused on that movie. That didn't remind me of so many other movies except for the time period. Uh, Which is fair. It's very unique. Well, it did remind me a lot of movies, but this was even more so because it reminded me of other movies on a deeper level, like things that weren't as obvious as the connections in Heretic to other things.
0: Yeah, I'd say there's not a lot of movies like Heretic. I feel like maybe unintentionally is the wrong word, but maybe... um, Because I feel like... In some ways, Sons of the Lambs is kind of reminiscent of this. Seven is definitely reminiscent of this, but I don't really know if the director saw it. It might have just been like they had a similar vibe or something. So I don't really feel like very many people. saw Yeah, it. I don't
3: know that. I think yeah, it's probably more coincidental. I think. Uh, but yeah. but but of course, the source material is similar. To some of the other source of material, so then that would make sense that they'd be similar anyway. Um, I also thought it was weird to th- think about the trilogy in that. Um, you know, like you guys obviously like the first and third more. And I thought it was interesting how the first was, you know, a very low budget indie type feel type of movie. Mm. I was surprised that this movie was a very low budget. Mm. I did not see that coming when mm. I pushed play. And I think it's so weird how the really derided movie was like the blockbuster budget movie of, of all of them and it was kind of, it was the flashiest as far as production was concerned. And it also, also, another thing that struck me, because I don't, I told you, I don't i don't look at cast lists, I don't look at synopsis before I watch a movie for the first time, so I remember seeing the opening credits to this movie and going, who's that? Who? What? And George C. Scott being like the only name I recognized, <laughs> and it made me think, this is weird, I have no idea who all these names are, whereas when you watch heretic, oh, really? Oh, Oh! it's just, You know, star-studded cast. It's just, you didn't it's, recognize uh, Grandel Bush? No.
0: From uh, License to Kill?
3: <laughs> no, look, I recognized many of these people when I saw their faces, but when I just saw their names, I had no clue who the heck was in this movie, except for Dorsey Scott.
0: Yeah, I I guess that's fair. I don't know. I, I feel like I recognized a ton of people, but...
3: I was just wondering why at the very beginning of the movie, going back to the very beginning... Um, with the altar boy. Um, and I don't know that actor's name by memory, but I don't know why I get a little charge every time I see him in anything. And he's in low key tons of things, including television. Um, the one who's the altar boy,
1: the altar boy. He has a brief, he has a brief, uh, discussion with father Dyer. Correct. Yeah. With the glasses.
0: Yeah.
3: That actor has been in a million things after this movie. And every time I see him in anything, uh, I don't know why I'm always like, it's that guy, even though I don't even know his name. And I was kind of jazzed to see him in this. And this is the youngest I've ever seen him uh, in all the things I've seen him in. I probably seen him like in 30 things, um, (laughs) playing like bit parts or character actor parts. Um, um, But it struck me because he had, the actor in real life, or as I perceive it, he has such like a heavy, I believe it's a New York accent and then the father also has a New York accent and I don't know I was like why are these two New Yorkers um, in this diocese in, in uh, Washington D.C. I, I don't know nobody but, cares about that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I, I'm not sure if I've seen anything with him but he, he didn't really look familiar to me
3: uh, well of course I usually see him appearing 40 years old uh, in most things, but
0: still. Oh, but I was going to say, I really like the editing in this movie. Like, I feel like there's a lot of scenes where they like will just say something and then immediately cut away. Yes! Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, for, for whatever reason, I think that's... it does a good job of keeping you kind of on edge with that kind of stuff. Yes. With the book, it just felt like it
1: went on for days and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... Is it, should we, does anybody else have anything to say? Um,
3: one more thing to say. Okay. okay. Let's, let's
1: <laughs> tell us about uh, tell us about uh, how this is like uh, Star Trek. I already did. Yeah, we, we got that one, Sean. You got you got to keep up, you know. Okay.
0: And
3: I'm pretty sure there's numerous Star Trek episodes where the killer keeps changing bodies, and no one can figure out who's oh, killing no. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but probably numerous examples. But uh, um, what was he gonna say? Oh, okay. So this movie, because. Every time me and Sean or me and anybody talk about movies on a podcast, I'm always really about the cinematography, the direction, all that kind of stuff, the behind-the-camera stuff, and and just the actual look of the movie itself. And you, of course, the movie's 1990, and production-wise and visually, it has such a very middle decade between the a decades look. It's so 80s and super early 90s looking at the same time. Which I mean, I know it should be because it's 1990. I get it, but you watch <laughs> other things from 1990 and,
0: and some. They... No, 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 no. What? Everything felt like that same period at this point. Everything. I, I disagree. Like you're the 80s. I disagree.
3: I disagree. I disagree. Oftentimes, like let's say other movies that can't come out in 1990, some will just look like oh they're still in the 80s mode, and then there's others who you're like oh no this is this is like representative of newer like the newer look. That we're going to see hmm. more in the 90s like they tend to fall on one side or the other of the fence i think a lot of the f-
0: any examples
3: what what year what year were we doing when we did dance with the wolves and ghosts was that 1990 but that but whenever we did that year on the best picture podcast that was one of those years where things fell uh kind of on one side of the fence except for ghost because ghost was kind of like this movie production wise where it felt like it was in the middle too Uh, in my opinion like because it felt like the newer suspenseful thriller movies that were gonna come out later in the 90s but then it still had it was barely holding on to the 80s look wise but anyways but i'm going somewhere else with this so this movie curiously like lives between both decades in appearance and production and as i stated earlier i wasn't expecting the low budget indie feel which probably made it better for me Um, than if it would have been like a big budget 1990 movie Um, and it's obviously because at least on the version I'm watching which is on Amazon Prime um, you know you can tell it's shot on film and this is more a side comment uh, about other movies it that's kind of what takes me out of a lot of uh, indie movies post 2010 uh, in modern times because there's something wrong with an indie movie and some are amazing but many of them I get taken out of because they're all shot digitally because I guess that's cheaper nowadays and I feel like if a lot of more modern indie movies if they just busted out some 16 millimeter cameras and then shot the exact same movie on the exact same sets and locations and costumes I just feel like it would make me enjoy them more um, because the newer digital indie movies are just far too antiseptic for me and this struck me as the exact opposite of that and i just think that made the movie better for me that the low budget look and the the celluloid look um it it somehow worked better with the um with the zaniness of the movie um last thing i'll say about this subject is (laughs) what (laughs) no it reminds me of um planet terror um robert rodriguez blu-ray release i don't know what he's talking about yeah i'm completely lost planet terror robert rodriguez (laughs) the grindhouse yeah i know i know that but (laughs) i I,
1: i'm curious to see
3: (laughs) but if you had the blu-ray um of that movie obviously when you play it it looks like the altered grindhouse version you know with all the the distress and everything Which is fine. And then I I saw, you know, on the special features, it's like you get to watch the clean, undistressed version. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to see what that looks like. And then you play it, and it just looks like a low budget horror movie that was shot on iPhone again. Uh, And it's just like, oh, like it just doesn't work. Like it has to look a little bit aged up. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, that's what I got to say about that. I'm so baffled. why I, I,
1: it's okay it's okay i am too i i am i drunk or is eric drunk or are we all drunk why is that or? bad
3: people at home what i'm talking about i'm trying to compliment the movie by saying it being of modest budget it, it helps it all work better for me than if
0: 11 million 1990 <laughs> i mean yeah, I, it, I never got the low budget connection i i thought this looked like a reasonably budget budget no no no
3: no 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 No, it's not no it's not 11 mil (sighs) no not for 1990 i I did not
1: get low budget from this
3: heretic was like 15 mil production budget in 1977 or whatever 76 yeah but they went crazy with that one okay just that is this is a low budget production morgan creek is a low budget movie studio circa 1990
0: i don't think 11 million is that low for 1990 i think that's pretty
1: average
3: I don't think so. Strongly, strongly disagree.
1: We did the year 1990 on the Best Picture podcast. And, that's what um, I thought. Yeah, and uh, that was the year of Dances with Wolves winning, obviously. That's, that's what something. I said. That's bigger budget than this. But if you look at Heck something... Yes. Hold on. Hold on. But if you look at something like Ghost, come I was on. I up Ghost for the budget.
3: Was Ghost Sean out of the room when I just said all this? Guaranteed Ghost. How did you know I
1: was out of the room?
3: Because I said all this that you're saying now.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I w- I actually did hit mute. <laughs> I and went started to pee. talking
3: about those movies when I went on this jazz.
1: I'm so sorry. I went. I muted and went up to go to pee. Okay. I'm. Caleb, so don't sorry. cut this
3: out. Caleb, don't cut this out. We don't need a director's cut. We don't need studio <laughs> intervention.
0: <laughs> okay. Ghost was about. Ghost was about 10 million more.
3: <laughs> Telling you, this is a low budget movie, relatively well, speaking. And I, gu- I guarantee you, 8 million of that, 11 million went to George C. Scott. I'm telling you.
0: Now, to be fair, when I think low budget, early 90s, I think something like Samurai Cops. So, I mean, I might be just in a completely All different right, that's, realm.
3: That's, that's I agree. I mean, a low budget studio movie. Come on. This
0: seems average budget for a studio no, film. No no, yeah.
3: no, 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 no. I agree. I agree. I completely disagree. You know, it was probably barely more expensive to produce than Pulp Fiction. Barely. Because that's another low-budget movie, relatively speaking.
0: Uh, but that was four years later. I mean, Reservoir Dogs, I think, was what? I'm
3: telling you, this is a Morgan Creek. That is a subsidiary of Coroco Pictures. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. What crazy land are you guys coming from where this is a big-budget movie? I'm not disagreeing with All you. I need to say is watch – Okay. Get the DVD of this, get the DVD of Silence of the Lambs, they're one year apart, put them on two monitors and hit play, and you will you tell me which one's the low-budget movie. I'm,
2: oh, I'm no, you.
1: no, 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 no. Silence of the Lambs, I don't know what the budget is, I'm speaking out of turn, but um, you've got a lot of actor uh, acting quality in there, But I, I, that does not strike me as a, ha- a high-budget film. That million. really does not.
3: I'm not saying it's a high budget looking film, but I'm saying it is if you play it side by side to this movie. That's what I'm saying.
1: I've seen
0: Lambs. I say Lam- they're
3: night and day in appearance. Wait, what, Caleb? No,
1: no, no.
0: It, it was nineteen million. Sons of the Lambs was? It was, yeah. I've seen that movie I don't even know how many times, but I, I don't think the difference is night and day. I think it's dawn and I don't know, like ten AM.
2: i I
3: haven't actually performed this experiment that i'm talking about but now you're making me feel like i have to because (laughs) because that movie strikes me as a a much not an expensive looking movie but it it looks so much more modern because of the way it was done and that makes it look more expensive the technique
0: now if you're talking about the exorcism and exorcism at the end fuck i'm drunk I mean, there, there, I can see it. They probably gave like twenty grand to that. Just, ah, just slap something together, grab some yeah, duct tape and some lights. I
3: am not even talking about that. I I, 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 grant, I'll grant you that, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not even putting that on the table. I'm leaving uh, that off the table.
2: You think
1: it might be more than that? It's unimpressive to us right now, but you know that there was no, yeah, there was CGI to that. I mean, this but there thing was, has no, like no, no, no CGI,
3: but no, this thing looks like it was shot like with the production crew who worked on Dukes of Hazard. Uh, well, oh come it's on, probably, on! It's probably because oh, it's probably because the man. scene I'm watching in front of me
0: right now, Fonzie, Fonzie, you're jumping the shark here. No, but
3: that no, no. Hold on, I'm not saying Dukes of Hazard is that bad. Uh, visually, Let me see. Oh, my examples aren't working, you guys, because you guys are all over the map. No, you're all over the map. No, you, you guys are positing that this looks like a, a decent budget movie for its time. I completely disagree with that. No no no. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know <laughs> what you guys are talking about?
1: The the scene with with the lady crawling
3: on the ceiling, that looks awesome. I agree, but that's not what I'm talking about. That does look awesome. That looks completely awesome. Well, you're 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 talking. Okay, I think you're talking. I think I think low budget means something else to you guys than what it means to me. Uh, because low budget means to me uh, the way I'm using it now means literally a modest budget but i think you guys are taking low budget as to that looks fake fake fakeo, fake fake blood that's not what i mean by low budget i, I do
0: not even talk about blood I mean, I mean
3: a modest amount of money to spend they make it look fantastic i'm not saying it looks fake and cheap i'm not saying it's classic doctor who that's not what i'm saying no I'm just, not
0: classic doctor who like charles band um, Roger Corman in the 90s. I mean, have you seen those flicks?
3: <laughs> yes, and that's not what I mean by low budget. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what we're saying, average budget. <laughs> I'm saying low budget for a quote-unquote studio movie. That's, I'm not saying like the Corman stuff. I'm not saying it's schlocky. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying it is 100% a modest budget movie. Give me some more time and I'll think of a moderate version of a modest budget movie that doesn't look cheap but it, I can still tell it's modest budget. Give me some time and I'll come up with one. <laughs>
1: okay, we'll be here waiting. Um, Caleb, I think you, you had something to add about this movie before we... Uh... Oh, I did. It was... it
0: was um, Compared to the tangent we just went off of, it was nothing at all. All I wanted to say is I love the fact that um, Kinderman, when he goes to vi- visit uh, Father Dyer in the hospital, he brings in this little penguin... He's like, oh, I found this in the street, and I thought it was uh, made me think of you. I just love that joke. I mean, a penguin with a priest, you know, the I just thought it was a penguin ah, joke. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. Wait, how does that make you think of him?
0: You know, the the, <sighs> the joke about the prank penguins and priests? Because penguins look like they're wearing, like, a suit.
3: Yeah, I, I know the reference, like, penguins to tuxedos, but I never heard the priest reference before until today.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was a, a cute joke. And I love that scene, too, when he's, like, um... He's like, oh, I, my brother was sick for years with the same symptoms. He was fine. Then he's like, oh, but your brother died at 30. And he's like, oh, he died in Vietnam. And he's like, well, maybe there was some connection. I, I just love that that
1: scene for kind of showing that he cares more than he's letting on. I totally agree, as, as well as the scene in the movie theater lobby where he talks about the carp. I mentioned it before.
3: <laughs> okay, yeah. here you go. Here's some examples of modern movies. That look fantastic. But when I watch them, I can tell they're made on a modest budget, even though they look fantastic. Okay. Um, Moon. Okay. Donnie Darko. All right. right. American Psycho. All movies that look great, fantastic, love it. But I can tell when I watch them, modest budget. Modest, quote-unquote, low budget. But I wouldn't say any of those movies look schlocky or, you know, like straight to video or... Showtime, special, not saying that. And I'm not saying that about Exorcist 3 either. I'm saying they're modest budget. They look great, but I can tell they're modest budget. But that's not a pejorative.
0: Yeah, I just think saying modest budget and low budget, because me and Sean were saying average budget, whereas you were saying low budget. I think
3: it's below point. average budget. Below average budget for <laughs> nineteen ninety. I know. Even okay. Ghost is probably below average budget if I look it up. Because it kind of looks that way too,
0: but anyway, this is just semantics now. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it is. It is semantics. That's why I said I think you guys misunderstood me in the first place, and that's why you you guys went to high heaven or high.
0: But you're you're saying low budget. I mean, that's uh, when you say low budget, we think of a different realm. I think true,
3: but that that's why I I try to couch it in low budget for a studio film, like a a legitimately named studio. I guess that's fair. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, the prosecution
0: or Defense rests The Fly 2 I feel like that came out around this time didn't
3: it Okay that's direct video quality But that's a studio And the quality. first one is low budget by the way and the second is basement budget or under basement budget TV budget Yes
0: But yeah, I'm pretty sure yes. it was
3: a... I think it was because it was made in Canada
0: Damn Damn I feel slapped
3: <laughs> You don't have to own it I'm just speaking the truth
0: No I'm just kidding I don't care <laughs> on. Okay. Jeff Goldblum to Eric Stoltz? Well, Eric Stoltz, wasn't he supposed to be in Back to the Future? I mean, that was a big star, you know? he's on the rise. Yeah,
3: you can find cut scenes with him in the park. I think Sean said that again.
1: No, I'm not! I'm here. I'm here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, wasn't Eric Stoltz? I mean, he was in Pulp Fiction, Killing Zoe. I mean, the guy who... No, he's great, uh,
3: but I'm just saying that... I'm just kidding.
0: I've got no love
1: for Eric (laughs) Stoltz. All
2: right
3: enough penis in the jar talk let's rate this
1: all right thank goodness would y'all tell me how many uh out of five uh headless statues of mary mother of christ would you give this
3: oh my gosh i'm gonna have to say uh five hail marys after we finish this podcast but
2: okay
0: i mean i'm honestly back at a 4.5 brilliant mood piece filled with great performances all around um i think blatty it's a shame he didn't go on to make more movies after this because really assured hand as a filmmaker agreed and really distinct kind of style too kind of a stagey kind of style but it really works on film um some really effective moments minus that again unfortunate exorcist sequence but really like it
1: yeah um, I'm also going to get a bit four and a half out of five for all the same reasons that Caleb made. Um, the Nickel Williamson Father Morning character was completely extraneous. We didn't need him. Um, you, know, he should, he, you know, we see him, a moment with him. Uh, you know, Kinderman calls him, give me Father Morning. <laughs> and then uh, Father Morning goes in there, tries to do an exorcist, and it's so extraneous it's 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 not needed it doesn't advance the plot at all um so but otherwise this is a damn good movie it's a surprisingly good movie um i think even if it didn't have the exorcist uh thing uh the exorcist 3 title as a movie called legion it would still be a damn good movie
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i'm going to agree with your with your uh, assessment and give it 4.5
3: Hmm. I wonder where it came first, Legion the comic character or Legion in you know, this movie? Oh my
1: god, know. it doesn't matter, could you please rate the movie?
0: Well, because
3: I just realized, cause Legion is about this guy who's locked up in an asylum, and he has all these multiple personalities trapped inside of them, and different ones come out of him.
0: They all came from the same source. There's also a movie called Legion, which is... Uh, is that one... true,
3: Caleb, or are you just saying that?
0: Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure they both came from the same source, yeah.
3: Okay, that's interesting. You talk about the Yes, and when you, every time you guys said Legion before, like I think even last week, every time you said Legion, you made me think of the the movie with. with uh, wait, was yeah, that the Paul one Kittany. with? <laughs> yeah, it was him. It was the one with Vision. Yeah, yeah. I was I was getting it mixed up with the movie called Warlock from the nineties. By the um, way, I I, I don't want to ruin
1: everybody's fun, um, but I just finished watching the director's cut. You know, visually, not with sound,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, Jason Miller makes no. Appearance in the director's cut, nor does Nickel Williamson. And it just ends with um, Kinderman shooting Brad Dorf in the head, and that's it. That's the end.
0: Yeah, I did know that detail. And again, that's yeah. straight out of the book. I mean, he is possessing Father Karras' body, but Father Karras was dead and never resurfaced. Mm-hmm. It's actually horribly embarrassing in the book because the only reason that it ends is because the serial killer's dad died of old age. And so the serial killer was like, oh, well, I don't need to kill anymore because my dad's dead and that was the only reason I was existing to kill to make fun of my dad, essentially. So I'm just going to die now. It was horribly anticlimactic. I was, It was the final nail in the coffin. I was like, fuck this book. Fuck Bladdy <laughs> Until I rewatched wow. the movie. <laughs> so this was definitely a case where the movie was better with... Uh... A million times, yeah. It was shocking how much I hated that book.
3: Huh. okay. Eric? so before i get my rating i have 45 more minutes of things to say
0: (laughs) oh my god (laughs) hey it's not that late over here i'm happy to listen to it
3: (laughs) i'll curtail it to four minutes um i'm still fascinated by how different this was as a sequel um which actually made me like it more i think possibly uh Mm. how how it's related but so separate from the original um I guess, because I was trying to wrap my head around it, I guess it's like Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons or something like that. Um, but. Never seen him. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, Exorcist 3, 59% with the critics, 56% with the audience lower than the critics.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that.
3: The little blurb says The Exorcist 3 is a talky, literary sequel with some scary moments that rival anything from the original. Now, next, I'd like to say... Uh, I gave Heretic three and a half last week after going back and forth in my mind about it at the time. And I still went back and forth after. And I just want to change my rating for that to three. I think I just get giddy when I think about... or titillated by uh, Linda Blair. And the the whole concept with the locusts, I still think about that. Uh, that being said, I'm going to give this movie... Out of um, religious iconography, I'll give it four (laughs) out of five.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, good. All right. So you were uh, pretty much on the same page with us. All right. That sounds good.
3: Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It was, in all the ways that we've been saying, nothing like what I expected. Nothing at all like what I expected on every level, visually, story-wise, everything. It was nothing what I expected. But it was all good, though.
1: Yeah, I I think up until the scene with the beheading of the nurse, I mean, that was a really good scene, great uh, jump scare. Um, I think that the movie had an overall sense of dread. Even they were, you know, he was walking around, talking to people, talking about the murders. It was still like there was this undertone of, like, filthiness um, that comes out in the characters, like when they're having lunch. And Kinderman explains to Dyer exactly what happened to the little boy. Oof. And Dyer is just overcome. Like It looks like he's about to cry. And the waitress comes up. And this this movie tells it all without showing very much. And I, like I really that. appreciated that. That was really good.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think it ends right when the that nurse who attacks the daughters, uh, right when she pulls out the scissors and attacks her head. I feel like that's when all that effectiveness ends. Yeah, it's too much. I love the scene where um uh, Kinderman's calling his wife to warn him that oh fuck this nurse is coming after you. And he gets just gets a dial tone on his end, but mm-hmm. then we see the wife actually talking to him. Like I I think that's super creepy too. It's just unfortunate once she pulls out the scissors and we get that weird um kind of speeded up shot it just looks silly and bad and...
1: but yeah i agree i agree about that i think that realistically she would have just killed um you know the wife the daughter and the grandma on in, in right when she got there i i i don't understand why they. You, she waited until okay you know go why, ahead agree no, but you
3: know why that didn't really throw me I was, and i've been trying to figure out why this whole discussion and i it just popped in my head what that reminded me of the weird sped upness of the cutting scene. It reminds me of everyone knows I love the original Psycho so much. And not just in, in that movie and other Hitchcock movies, when there's like a weird attack or stabbing or death, Hitchcock would do that. Um, and I remember it used to almost make me want to un- unintentionally laugh, like when I would watch Psycho when I was younger. Before I revered it so much, and it would always make me want to laugh when it would speed up, and there was like stabbing or falling down the stairs,
0: and Bond too,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah that too, yes, and Goldfinger in the beginning,
0: uh, Thunderball for me,
3: <laughs> yeah, and then I was on the Criterion set. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I think it's the Man Who Knew Too Much, the the, the original, the older version. Mm. It's it's one of the earliest movies I have of his, and. Um, you know, it's like an early speaky movie, talking movie. And in the very beginning of the movie, the guy is going down the ski slopes. And then when he tumbles, it's like this weird sped up thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, Hitchcock's been doing this forever. But anyway. So I guess that prepared me for when it happened in this. I was like, oh yeah, okay. It just is. But I, if I had seen it when I was 13, I probably would have been laughing.
0: For any fans of Red Letter Media, they reviewed this film. And they did a really slowed oh, down really? version. I do like yeah, they did a slow-down version, and you see that as she's getting her head pulled away from the scissors, she, like, makes this absurd smile. Yes. So every time I see this film now, I see that smile, and I'm like, oh, fuck.
3: That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Red Letter Media is really funny,
0: usually. Yes, they are. Um, but, yeah, so that basically sums up our little three-movie retrospective here. If you guys want to do the next two together, I'd love to do them, but I really think this trilogy is kind of underrated in, in some ways. I mean, I think the second one's terrible, but...
3: I think it's an in, I think it's interesting to mash all three together in your mind because they're all so different.
1: I really want to watch the two prequels. I know you said that they're not good, but I don't care. I, I really like Dominion. I don't think
0: it's necessarily a good film. It's also not a finished film. Like, Paul Schrader, he basically showed, like, a first draft to the uh, producers and they said, Fuck you, this is trash. Bring in Rennie Harlan <laughs> to fill it to make a better movie if anyone knows. So Rennie both Harlan. those
3: prequels both take place in two different time periods?
0: They're essentially the exact same script written by Caleb oh, Carr.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Um just done in completely different styles. Paul okay. Schrader was like a weird seventies kinda like a John Borman type. So where he's a really we, thoughtful, weirdo director.
3: So are we talking Thunderball versus Never Say Never Again or Last Stand versus Dark Phoenix?
0: Um, we'll just have to discuss it when we go. Are you guys familiar with...
3: Oh, we're doing that. Okay.
0: Are you guys familiar with Rennie Harlan? Do, no. Do you know that not director?
1: Not that I know of, yeah. Yeah, director of
0: Cliffhanger, Deep Blue Sea, um, a million oh, other okay. schlock movies. This oh, guy I've seen the... those movies. Okay, those are both good movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I like Deep Blue Sea, but it's schlock, so it's like taking a weirdo 70s kind of thoughtful director versus uh, 2005 schlock, but it's the same scripts, almost the exact same cast as well, so it's it's an extremely strange double bill, but if you guys want to do it, I'd I'd be happy to do it.
2: It'd be like
3: watching Rent live in New York in in, in 1998, (laughs) and then watching the movie with the same cast, 10 years older.
1: Very comparable, yes. <laughs> I would do that because I want to watch those movies, but not next week.
3: I'd do it because you guys would be there. That's fine. Sure, we can, Me and Caleb can wank off to some Godzilla or something.
1: Sure. <laughs> okay, you boys I'll do too. that.
3: <laughs> Depending on how Caleb edits the episode, it was exactly like 110 minutes the length of the movie version I watched. That's funny.
0: Uh, but anyway, yeah, so... Uh... Any final thoughts before we head out here? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I thought we were dead. <laughs> I thought I had my post-final. And
1: <laughs> yeah, watch The Watch the Exorcist 3. It's great. Um, it's, it's not quite the same as the original, but it's a really creepy-esque uh, detective procedural. Uh, maybe not as creepy as 7, but it's still creepy uh, for its time.
3: I like it for its talkiness and mm-hmm. odd choices throughout.
1: Yeah, that's that's the director, uh, William Peter Blatty, there, uh, for the fact that you can take a, a, a movie with people talking in rooms and turn it into something extremely creepy. Absolutely. Uh, with a few, you know, a couple jump scares peppered in and, and an exorcist that uh, doesn't really pan <laughs> out, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, peace. exorcist 3 pete ladies and gentlemen or well gentlemen. this is
3: the because i think we're already in because it's recording and caleb doesn't do intros so this movie so okay here we go <laughs>
1: what a great start did you watch every colombo episode after our podcast um yeah i watched them as you guys went along yeah oh cool because this has a colombo alumnus in it oh who uh hmm Father uh, Morning, who plays uh, or played by Nicole Williamson, was in the. Uh, he was the psychiatrist that got his Doberman Pinchers to kill that guy over the oh, phone.
0: Oh yeah, the with the rosebud reference. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's him. I thought I recognized him, but then I figured, remember that he was in the John Borman movie uh, Excalibur. Mm, so mm. I thought maybe that's where I was recognizing him. But oh, that was a good one. I like that. How to Dial a Murder. In fact, I, I think watching that one made me go back and rewatch watch um, Citizen Kane, which I hadn't seen in years.
1: Yeah, you know, that. have you seen this movie Mank? Uh, no. I
0: will watch it eventually because I like Venture, but all the controversy around it's put me off. Cause yeah. Because I'm a fan of Citizen Kane.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll watch it. It was nominated for Best Picture,
0: but... Um, <laughs> yeah, it seems weird, the like strange creative choices they chose. I, I don't know about biopics.
3: Why'd you make that noise? What about the movie made, made you make that noise? I've just heard, I've heard mixed
1: things, uh, uh, specifically from Bald Brian and uh, oh, Anderson fuck Cooper. That
2: uh, fuck that guy! Fuck that guy! No, yeah, I've, I've
0: heard it from many other people as well.
3: He's always adding another quiver uh, bow to my quiver on hating yeah, him. Another... Arrow
0: to your quiver. Yeah, there you go. That.
3: <laughs> Some people like to put their bow in their quiver. Um, oh. The more recent thing I remember, he said like a week or two ago when I was listening to the podcast, was somebody mentioned uh, they were like Grand Budapest Motel, hotel. Has anybody seen it? And they're like, no, I never wanted to watch it. And Bob Ryan was like, ah, oh. he's just like Wes Anderson. He's just like, oh, like his movies are just about like the effect and ooh. And he's like, but he just said they they're all overhyped. They pretty much all suck. Well, he said Rushmore was okay. Earl Tenenbaums a little bit. And then he said he was out with all the rest. And I was just like, fuck you, Michael
0: Ryan. Yeah, but away from him. Yeah, I haven't watched Mank. Yeah, because they have that whole weird thing about how they kind of frame it as Orson Welles didn't really,
1: wasn't really the powerhouse kind of figure behind that movie.
2: Mm, mm, but see,
1: mm. I just don't buy that If, at I, all. if, if, I, if I can just go back with, uh, to Wes Anderson, I actually kind of feel the same way. Like I'm hot and cold about what Wes Anderson
3: I'm not saying people need to love his movies or anything, but but go if ahead. you
1: want to see something really good, we'll go watch two things from Saturday Night Live: Wes Anderson does a horror movie, uh, yeah. and uh, uh, on no, Honest Trailers, every Wes Anderson movie ever. <laughs> Those are pretty funny.
3: I'm on one of the special features on one of his Criterion's because I have them all, but um, they show like a two-minute commercial he did for like American Express one year, like for the Super Bowl or something. It's 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 a, it's a credit card commercial that's obviously all Wes Anderson and all his visual tropes and everything, fucking fantastic. I was like, fuck, I'd watch every commercial if they were like this. But I don't, I don't. I'm not saying everyone has to love his movies or anything like that. And they're not all as great as each other, that's for sure. You know, I understand. But even with his movies that don't land, maybe it's because I like so much of the the making of a movie. You know. Besides all the other great stuff, uh, because just how everything's put together, to me it's like it's like looking at like an amazingly, like amazingly intricate model or something, and you just like stare at it. Like how could someone put all that together exactly, like, like, like the intent? I don't know. I'm I'm in such an mm. awe. And when you when I watch these movies, I'm always trying to figure out like how did they make that shot?
2: Mm. And mm.
3: And, you know, how do they make that transition? And people probably assume there's just some digital cuts or something. But then you watch the making-of pieces. Like, no, all that shit usually is in camera. And when you see the behind-the-scenes, you're like, oh, my God. Like, it looks like they're using... It's, it's... A lot of the visual trickery is done on such... Like, it's so simplistic, a lot of it. But you can't... T- like, they... The effect cost them $30 in materials, and when you watch the movie, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like a much more extravagant set than it really is, or whatever. Um, Like, when you watch the making of sometimes, it looks like you're watching the making of of, like, a YouTube video, Mm. but when you see the finished product, it's like an actual motion picture, and that shit constantly blows me away.
0: Mm. Mm. it's, It's all old tricks.